Hi, this is Anna from Chicago, Illinois. Dusted is a story wonk podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash storywonk. Thanks. And welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusted, your irrationally pessimistic Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. It's a very rational kind of pessimism. Sure. This week. <laughs> this week on the show, Doomed, the 11th episode of the fourth season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And let's say right off the bat, this is a strange one. Yeah. This yeah. is a strange episode composed of mismatched pieces. Yes. There are three credited writers on yes. this script, which is unusual for Buffy. It's unusual right. for most shows for there to be three credited writers. But this week, Martin Oxen, David Fury, and Jane Espenson all have fingers in the pie to a greater yes. or lesser extent. Mm-hmm. It feels like it was written by three different people, too. It does. It feels like it was written by three people who are not in a room together. Yeah. You know. Three um, people who have very different senses of what Buffy is and should be. And how it works. And there's a weird internal tension that's created by that. Yeah. That leads to some unfortunate, and I genuinely believe unintended, juxtapositions. Yeah. No, it's weird. It is a strange one. It's weird. Directed, though, by James A. Contner, who manages to do a good job. Yeah. With what I sense was a very short production schedule. I imagine that Hush probably took a lot of time and attention. I think it sucked a lot of the air There's out of the like room. We a, speculated a about that. There's like a hole in the middle of exactly, the... Exactly, right. That gravitational lensing effect. Resources went into Hush, is my guess. And then perhaps not as much time, not as much attention, not as much budget mm. went into Doomed. Though this is yeah. by no means a cheap episode. We talked a no. little about the the influence that Hush would have. Such a high-profile, sure. mm-hmm. expensive, experimental episode would have on the episode surrounding it. Certainly we felt the pull of that in right. Something Blue. Mm-hmm. Here, it does feel as though it was produced in a very brief period of time. Yes. But they certainly threw some money at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a huge amount by the standards of I think of probably Buffy, a but, standard you know, amount. Out. Yeah. Absolutely. The it's demons fairly, looked pretty good. I think that the demons we did look great. okay. I'm thinking in particular of the Sunnydale high sets. The Sunnydale high sets very also limited very sets nice. through which we walk very slowly because we only have, you, you know, 20 foot If you just take it and of, burn of, it, then there you go. Yeah. Sure. No, I, also, I also appreciate what they did with this squishy mayor meat. I thought that that was a nice little effect. A little unnecessary. A oh, little, yeah, a little totally harrowing. Totally unnecessary. Certainly. Totally gross, but still, yeah. yeah. Let's get into it and we will determine exactly where the pieces fit together in Doomed, previously on Buffy the Vampire slayer spike can't bite buffy can't tell the truth riley can't talk we pick up as has been observed from the very end of hush as buffy and riley sit in awkward silence he asks her what she is and gets a snippy answer Mm -hmm. she asks him who he is and that gets them nowhere my first major problem with this episode is that buffy apparently developed a really bad mood sometime between the end of Hush and the beginning of Doomed. Right. (laughs) It feels like the Buffy we get at the beginning of Doomed was not the Buffy that we had at the end of Hush. Well, because, I mean, this aired like four weeks later. They were sitting in that room staring at each other for a month. January 18th, the year 2000. There you go. This is the first Buffy the Vampire Slayer of 2000. Yeah. Pretty fun. Mm -hmm. But there is definitely a shift in in tone, in attitude, yeah. you know. Riley, too, she's, not quite yeah. the Riley that we had at the end of Hush. In, in the end of 
in the end of Hush, you know, Buffy seems a little bit kind of like she doesn't know where to go next. And that's how Riley seems. In the beginning of Doomed, they're angry, you yep. know, um, or at least definitely Buffy is. And Buffy, you know, with good reason, makes Riley angry because <laughs> she's all mad at him about his secret identity. When, hello, she's been secret identity girl, you know, for quite some time. But she's mad at him, too, in a way that is only borderline compatible with our notion of who Buffy is. Here's the thing. We're going to play yeah. a little game as we move through this episode <laughs> of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where I attribute different scenes to different writers. This is a Martin Oxen scene. Okay. I feel absolutely confident That's that Martin Oxen wrote it because uh, she writes a sharper and mm-hmm. smarter Buffy. Mm-hmm. One of Martin Oxen's great strengths is that she rarely, if ever, goes to the, well, Buffy's blonde and a little bit dumb. Yes. Well. <laughs> and Buffy in this scene is absolutely, she's sharp, mm-hmm. she's on it, she's possessed apparently of a surprisingly large vocabulary, particularly when it comes to making up names for the uh, for the hostiles, <laughs> as the initiative calls them. Yes. This feels like a Martin Oxen script. Okay. Yeah. And there's like an that. anger mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. That also seems to be representative of that that perspective on the Buffyverse. Well, because if you're a woman and you're smart, you're going to be angry. <laughs> <laughs> in real life, as in fiction. Life yes, is going to piss you off a little bit. Yeah. Buffy lays out the initiative as she understands it, which is frighteningly accurate. And we discover that Riley's new to the whole concept of the Slayer. Maybe they should take a little time, process everything that's happened, maybe maintain that romantic tension for just a little longer. <laughs> and that's when Amy the Rat freaks out and the building is shaken by an earthquake. I do love the detail mm-hmm. of of the rat yes. freaking out mm-hmm. and then the earthquake hitting. It's a very nice build and release in yeah. terms of the, the specific tension to the scene. Works really quite nicely, I think. Yeah, I liked it too. I liked it too. And so, then, you know, Riley's all excited because it's his first earthquake you know, I, I like that I little, you, we're that little be very note critical. from Riley. Yeah. yeah, we're going to be very critical of Riley in the span of this episode of, of Dusted. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like him in the opening scene. I, I think like he manages to walk too. a very fine line between, you know, a, a certain kind of integrity. Yeah. He can't tell Buffy, but he's not going to screw around. He's right. going to tell her that he can't tell her. He's right. going to mm-hmm. explain as much as he can and, you know, by inference, why he can't say more. Yeah. He manages to maintain and engage my sympathy and my interest. Yeah. Through the opening mm-hmm. scene in a way that he absolutely does not later in the episode. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the episode where suddenly I remember Why the Riley I like that I Riley. remember. <laughs> yes, right. exactly. So we cut to the credits, including Mark Lucas, who now has his... Now he's there. Now has his there name in the go. credits, which is pretty great. In Xander's basement, the earthquake has created a leak right over Spike's chair, which is just unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Xander gives him instructions to fix it, and Spike is forced to acquiesce because of his crippling inability to murder Xander with a wrench. We've all had that instinct. <laughs> One time or another, if we're playing the game of who wrote this scene, who Jane wrote, Espenson, of course, Jane, Jane Espenson, Espenson wrote, wrote this. The yes, and Spike stuff. <laughs> Pretty much every Jane Espenson wrote all the Spike stuff. I would say, yeah, yeah, perhaps up until the final battle. Mm-hmm. I'm not at all sure oh, about, about Spike in the final battle because there yeah. is a marked shift in his dialogue too. Mm-hmm. By the time we get to that point, interesting. Yeah, and I have no insider information. On I don't either. How or why this script was put together either. in this haphazard way? We went looking on the internet to see and if there was anything nothing. to be found. Yeah, it's a strange one. At the dorm, Willow and Buffy catch up after the earthquake. Buffy is keeping secrets and on her way to Giles, who isn't entirely open to the idea that there's anything wrong. The last time there was an earthquake in Sunnydale, Buffy died, but that's hardly enough information to extrapolate a pattern. 
Though something definitely isn't right. Oh my god. What is with Giles' what? Somebody voice? possessed Giles. Giles is speaking like a, a like a, the classic British arrogant professor type voice. Yes. You know, He's, and Giles turned to 11. Yeah, it's not even Giles. I mean, it, it's so strange how weird he sounds. Okay. We've talked before on the podcast about ADR and about sure. dialogue looping, but for new listeners, right. can you give us a brief pricey of why it sometimes sounds in TV shows as though actors re-recorded their lines afterward? There's a lot of, it's called looping generally, it's called ADR, um, but basically what happens is in the moment you're shooting the video, you're getting the visuals right, and sometimes that means that your sound is going to be slightly sacrificed. Sometimes there's wind, sometimes there's airplanes in the background, sometimes, who, who even knows, right? So what happens when the audio that is that is retrieved in the field in the in the shot uh, isn't working. Then the actors will come into a nice quiet studio, <laughs> and and record the ADR. Now sometimes they'll watch a video of themselves and then have to actually you know re-record that audio. Um, the problem with that is that a lot of times the quality of the sound in the studio is different from what it is when you're actually out on location. Right. So if you don't have uh, somebody who's taking a lot of time to go back and kind of uh, process that sound a lot of times it becomes really noticeable. One of the things that I'm noticing now is that most of the time when we watch television now, we're streaming on a computer or whatever, and we're listening to it through headphones, which is a different experience from the original experience, which is where it would just play on a TV in the middle of a room. Mm -hmm. So our ability now to, to like, notice the ADR I think is really heightened because we're listening yeah. on these much higher quality uh, sound systems and than were available on standard televisions during the time that this was produced. Right. And that sound is not being right. modified by the environmental acoustics of the room in which we're watching television because right. it's being transported directly into, into our ears. Our ears. And earbuds, so yeah. sound people who did just enough work to make it not sound super ADR when it was playing on a standard definition television yeah. in, in the year 2000, uh, their work can't hold up to the True. kind of uh, ability we have to listen to it now. So a lot of times you'll find that when you're watching these shows from 10, 15 years ago, you'll notice that there seems to be a little bit of a different quality and the, the ADR really stands out. Well, and the degree of challenge varies. I mean, yeah. given infinite money and infinite time, sure. a sound engineer could make ADR sound basically perfect. Your sound designer can absolutely do that. And they do, I think, mm. now much oh, more and, often. Yeah, absolutely. At we only time, notice ADR when it goes wrong. Exactly. You if you're a sound Sound designer, of lines in if, a given day. yeah. If you're a sound designer and you are on a schedule the way that they are when you're producing, you know, 22 episodes of television in a season, um, and you know, you know that the way that everybody is receiving this is through a sound system on a television, it passes completely mm. in those circumstances most of the time. Um, so now, you know, we're we're able to pick this stuff out a lot easier. The problem with this particular moment with Giles is that it was very quite obviously. ADR, uh, which is not a sin in and of itself for the reasons that I've explained, mm -hmm. because at the time it wouldn't have been noticeable. It is the actual performance of the dialogue, well, which sounds it it doesn't sound like yes, Giles. His accent is wrong yeah. in the first place. It's it's far too clipped even by the standards. And the way of in which Giles. he's he's delivering it isn't right. isn't in Giles' character. It sounds I've heard Anthony Stewart had do radio performance on the BBC. Yeah. And when he performs on radio, 
he kind and of he does that like in this. that super posh like yeah. yeah and everything's very close to the mic and everything's very mm-hmm. it's it's not textured it's not particularly layered in terms of dynamic volume it's just a very present very warm very inclusive kind of sound but yeah. that's not the sound that you get from television that's not how how right, ADR just, normally it's works. It's not just for. the quality of the recording in and of itself, no, which is a little the, bit weird. I'm talking about the quality of the vocal performance, right, at but, least as much as I'm talking about But the about way the... that he does that accent, I mean, it, it sounds like a blowhard, you know, like professor <laughs> at Hogwarts. Yes. It's overdone. It's overcooked. Yes. Both know? the accent <clears throat> itself, the performance yeah. itself, and the way in which the audio is recorded, all of these all things of are weird. And it's even stranger yeah. because it's the entire scene. It is the whole scene from beginning it's to end. It's not just a line of dialogue. Yeah. It's the whole thing. And it's it's absolutely noticeable, absolutely conspicuous. Yeah, well, let me tell you my it. theory. Tell me your theory. Here is my theory. Because Giles, like Anthony Stewart Head, plays Giles perfectly every time. Mm. Always. He knows who Giles is. Um, so what I'm thinking happened is that there was some kind of something where they didn't realize they were going to need the ADR until all of the audio got to post and they realized that there was some kind of problem. My guess is that there was some kind of time crunch or whatever and they had to do it quickly. My other guess is is that at this time, Anthony Stewart Head was playing a character similar to this, which actually might have been in Persuasion, which was made on the BBC, and he played like a very blowhard kind of character mm-hmm. in Persuasion in that miniseries. So I'm going to look that up later and find out if he was doing <laughs> Persuasion at about the time, because I think it was about the time that this was going on. Stay tuned for more forum.storywonk.com. Exactly. So my theory is, is that they had him wherever he was on location. He went in and, yeah. you know, did some dialogue and was just in still in the character from Persuasion instead of in Giles mode. And that that's how this happened. That's my theory. That's my whole X Files. It's a good theory. This is my Mulder. The other possibility theory is that yeah, perhaps he was sick that day. Perhaps he had. I can't think of anything that that would that would alter the performance of the character the way that it does because that's not his natural accent. His natural accent is much more like he was in Band Candy because Sarah Michelle Gellar clearly isn't ADR'd. Right, and when you're shooting in a, an enclosed space like that, you don't mic your car- your your actors individually. No, but you do shoot them separately. So the first, but like, they shoot shot. all of her. Yeah, but they shoot all of Sarah's stuff in and uh, like in one setup from that side of the room. Yeah. Then they pick everything up and they move it over, and then they shoot all of Giles' stuff. Right. So it's possible that something happened in the process of moving from one side of the room to the other, and while they were shooting Giles' stuff, the sound got screwed up. That I happens all the time. Did, if they did all the two shots in the movement. All the, all the blocking shots after. Yeah, yeah that it, happens. It's, it's crazy. It happens all the time. Yeah. I can't imagine a circumstance where all of her lines are perfect and all of his are... are I don't even... I are don't unusable, know. apparently, because I they must have been know. worse than the versions that we get. The reason that we're harping on this, I think, is that <laughs> Buffy is usually so consistent in its production. Yes. That this is such a weird... And also, this is an incident unlike any I've ever seen on uh-huh. television. Yeah. I can't think of another time when I've seen an entire scene be ADR'd like this mm-hmm. so yeah. haphazardly yeah. to such poor effect. Mm-hmm. And it's so distracting. And it, the episode suffers for it, honestly, because this is the moment where we have to, you know, connect Giles's interest in the commandos to sure. Buffy's growing anxiety with the earthquake mm-hmm. and also her desire to deflect Giles's growing interest yes. in the commandos. So we have to be present in the scene. And honestly, it took me three or four times watching it to even pick up what they were talking about. Yeah, get no. The, get the minutia of the conversation. I was so distracted by the whole thing. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Also, I just looked up on IMDb. 
uh, persuasion was made in 2007. So that is not what happened. But if you wow, listen you to him in 2007, if you listen to him in that episode or that TV movie of persuasion, yeah. uh, you will see exactly what I'm talking about. That that's the I'm kind of character he was. Sure. Doing. Some enterprise. I'm soul sure he was doing something head, at that time that was out. a different character. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a strange one. It's also not a great intro to the episode because yeah. coming out of the credit sequence, mm-hmm. we have the beat with Xander and Spike, which is fine and is funny and is the thing that we're doing with Spike and that's okay. Exactly. Then we get the beat in the dorm with Willow and Buffy where Buffy's opening gambit in terms of her shifting relationship with Riley yeah. and the episode that we're here or the story that we're here to cover in the span of this episode, her opening gambit is to lie to Willow. Which I don't buy no. at all. She would absolutely tell Willow. It feels like it feels like Because artifice. Hey, this guy I've got a crush on is actually one of the commandos. That's kind of a big deal because they've yeah. been trying to figure out who but the commandos are. But what we want are. is the beat at the end of the episode where we do the big reveal. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. But Willow's that not. That big reveal is not people. as valuable. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Willow is a valuable member of the team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Buffy keeping her up to speed, Buffy letting her know. Even if Riley weren't a romantic interest, yeah. Mm-hmm. Buffy would tell Willow the truth. And the fact that Riley is a romantic interest gives her all the more reason to to talk to Willow about this. But instead yeah, we have this absolutely. artificial distance. Then we go to Giles mm-hmm. and Giles suddenly isn't receptive. He's dismissive, in yeah, fact, of poo-poos. Buffy's very direct yes. and real concerns about, oh, I don't know, her own mortality. Yes. <laughs> Even if he's 100% certain that uh-huh. the earthquake does not bode ill for Buffy's chances of survival, yeah, this is Buffy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and he is, to all intents and purposes, her father. Yes. He would take a minute to right. comfort her properly rather than being fixated uh, on the Or to say, yes, I completely understand how you feel. At that time, we also had prophecies. We had all sorts of other things going on. There's no other evidence that anything's going on. So let's not worry about it. So if you had to say, I mean, I feel bad about this because like everything I like, I'm going to attribute to Marty Noxon and Jane Espenson. And then this, I think it sounds like David Fury to me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I can't say definitively in yeah. this in this scene. I'm so busy listening to the, the, the voice performance. I'm so thrown um, off by the whole thing. I yeah. don't know what the good version of this sounds like. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure. Though, you know, we have had, both from Jane and from Marty, yes. a certain amount of, you know, willingness to, to build a construction so that we can have a reveal. Doesn't sound okay. unlike Jane this is, to have yeah. Buffy be on the outs so that we can... So that we can have the reversal at the end of the episode. Certainly. And I will say, too, that that's not just a Jane Espenson, Marty Noxon thing. This is a writer thing. This is something I oh, yeah. fight in my students. I fight in everybody in every class. This fetishization of the shock, of the surprise, of the twist, uh, which ends up creating a lot mm. of bad story, as we're going to see with Willow very soon. <laughs> We cut from Giles and Buffy to Riley and Forrest, who are discussing what exactly a Slayer might be. Forrest has heard the myth, but he's dismissive and, as previously mentioned, the worst. The worst. But can we just say something here, right? Riley knows that Buffy has a secret identity Mm -hmm. as the Slayer and Mm -hmm. that this is something she's kind of got to keep under her hat, right? He immediately goes and tells everybody. Which I'm completely comfortable with. I feel that he would. What's conspicuous to me is not is Riley Buffy goes doesn't. to tell everyone, it's that Buffy doesn't. No, I think it would be nice for Riley to do a little research, maybe no. ask about... Well, I guess he doesn't He doesn't say that it's Buffy. He says he's heard about the Slayer. Yes. Though, so there is that. Know, That's okay. Well, yeah, fair enough. Fair I enough. I like yeah. 
very much the intent that underlies this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do not like the execution of this. Yeah. There is something weird. I mean, obviously, I'm on record as not liking Forrest at all, usually yeah. because of his attitude toward, you know, women. Yeah. That is not the reason he is terrible in this scene. <laughs> He's terrible in this scene because what is with that performance? Yeah. He usually has bounce and charm and spark mm-hmm. on screen and it's an and odious at least kind he of has that even though it but is he yeah. has this dimensionality mm-hmm. yeah in this entire sequence he is so flat yeah it's the strangest thing to the point that it feels purposeful right to the point that it feels like are we supposed to be worried about him is he supposed to be is he on some kind of drug or, is he yeah. under some kind of demonic influence perhaps it's the strangest yeah. thing i don't know but i mean the thing is is like usually he's terrible about women but here he's being at least we know he's equal opportunity awful even to his best friend yes. he's a total jerk yes, he he's completely dismissive of any like yes. riley is asking you know really interesting questions and he's like no, she's a she's a myth, you know, and and just being a jerk. He teases Riley about the Easter Bunny, and I'm not sure how completely certain I am that Riley doesn't believe in the Easter Bunny at this point. Okay, look, he might, and he if might. he does, it's evil demonic Easter Bunny. In the Buffy verse, there could actually be an well, Easter Bunny. Well, bunnies are scary. Don't tell Anya. <laughs> at this point, though, we also have. Basically, what is the initiative party line yes. on demons and vampires and things that go bump in the night, which is that they are animals mm-hmm. which is a strange concept for forest to cling to given that he's just said that they have an oral storytelling tradition exactly. that they have <laughs> culture yeah that they have family relationships yeah that they have a sense of right and wrong that they have a sense of their place in the world yeah it doesn't really hang it's, together it's depressing yeah. To see how consistent that is with general human nature and actually would be, if, if they were deliberately trying to make that statement, which I don't think that they are, um, you know, would be really consistent with a lot of the ways in which people view the other throughout history. It's um, possible, certainly. Yeah. yeah. But I think that the way that it's presented isn't that they are. It's not done with are, any kind of deliberate knowledge exactly right. and it's understanding not a comprehensive exactly approach to, to there's no self-awareness in this scene right yes mm-hmm. and that's the problem because the intent that underlies it basically what we're doing in this episode yeah. and we do this purposefully when we get the the research slash briefing yes. scene later mm-hmm. and we're cutting between buffy and the scoobies and riley and the initiative yeah what we're seeing and it's drawn beautifully in mm-hmm. that sequence yeah is the fundamental difference in their perspective yes buffy understands the world of magic and story and myth and mm-hmm. power and she occupies that space yes riley and the initiative don't yeah. and can't and never will and that is ultimately what limits them and they're taking a human militaristic approach exactly. to something that cannot be contained in that they're way they're fundamentally failing to respect and enter into the world of the supernatural Mm -hmm. which is you know buffy's house and they've got an entire military unit to do poorly the job that one young girl does well well the one superpowered slayer one girl in all the world and and her team of you know highly qualified we'll talk a little about her team of highly qualified (laughs) somethings (laughs) but in this instance when we when we go to the initiative and forest is laying all this stuff out for us it really doesn't work. So I like mm-hmm. the intent, but I think the execution is, is fails horribly. Really poor. Yes. We then have the beat with the demon escaping mm-hmm. and the scientist fumbling with the uh, with the tranquilizer. Sure. <laughs> Which honestly, if I saw a demon that had Forrest in a chokehold, I might take. My I'd time hesitate too. That's what I wrote in my notes. I'm like, I notice everybody hesitates when Forrest is in a chokehold. Yeah, hold. let's just let's you know, because maybe 
Let's just Accidents pretend to fumble. Happen. If I drop the syringe right now, nobody will question me. Yeah, there's another guy just reaching for that, you know, exactly. four days since the last fatal accident. Graham is a Simon much better choice for best friend. So. Oh, Graham's pretty great. Yeah, Graham's Barely awesome. in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so we have that sequence. I don't know why we have the demon escaping mm-hmm. in that moment. I don't know why. Well, because we want to have Forrest have that moment where he rubs his neck and says, see, animals. Yeah, you know? but it's not worth <laughs> no. Too big a brick. Yeah. Yeah. For, exactly. For what we get from it. Exactly. But we do get the beat that the demons that the initiative have been keeping underground mm-hmm. have been unsettled yes. since the earthquake. So perhaps something is coming after all. At the frat party, Willow is awkwardly standing by herself. She spots Percy. Yes. Previously seen in Graduation Day Part 2. I guess we haven't seen him <laughs> since then. She goes over to say hi, interrupting what is obviously some special time between Percy and his lady friend. Mm-hmm. Percy asks about Oz, but before Willow can even respond, Percy is led away by the girl. Across the room, a demonic claw slips through the door, despite the fact that the demon doesn't then subsequently enter that room. Yes. It would seem. Yes. Or manages to do so with an incredible degree of stealth. Yeah. I mean, I know these kids are drunk, but still. We cut to a guy making drinks in one of the bedrooms, but he, noble spirit and kinsman soul of Dionysus himself, will never make it to the promised naked limbo because the demon cuts his throat and the glasses fall to the floor. Willow wonders aloud where Buffy is, uh, while Percy deflects his girlfriend's jealousy about Willow by calling her captain of the nerd squad, which shows what Percy knows. The nerd squad is constitutionally a parliamentary democracy, so Willow would be prime minister of the nerd squad, Percy. Percy. And also, I mean... I know we've talked about this before. I know we talk about this yeah. every time we talk about television or movies or, you know, pop culture. Mm-hmm. Willow is much hotter than the girl that Percy is with. Uh, yeah. Can we be done with the, you know, geek girl beauty standard? The whole thing. Not to mention the fact that, that Willow would not care that Percy thinks she's a nerd. No. In an episode in which our sense of characterization is yeah. not the firmest that it could be. Well, Willow also... Would not go to this stupid party. No, nothing that Willow does here. Willow makes would sense go immediately right. to Tara and be like, "So something weird's going on." You yeah, know? notably She's absent just from found, this episode. She just found somebody who understands Wicca the way that she understands it, or yeah. witchcraft, or whatever, because it's not Wicca. Wicca is religion, and that's not yeah used interchangeably in sure, the Buffyverse. But sure. you're right. There's no Tara in this episode. There's no Anya in this episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. The absence is felt. Yeah. Let's uh-huh. put it that way. Not least of all because you're right, this isn't Willow. Willow Nothing would that not Willow go. does in this Willow entire episode. Willow left this party dorm because she hates these people. Yeah. Why would she go there? Why would she care what Percy thinks? She is new, confident Willow. She does not have time to be concerned with what Percy thinks. Well, and if that wasn't enough, Willow, obviously in her right mind and capable of making smart, informed choices, <laughs> goes into a stranger's bedroom and lays down on the bed, closing her eyes until... Suddenly the light is turned on and I couldn't okay, here's figure the thing. out what that beat was. This whole thing, okay, this whole thing was supposed to be that the power went out in this one dorm. And because the power went out in the dorm, the they decided to have a party. Okay. Right. But there's light in the outer room and it's not candlelight. It could be run off a generator. Uh, run off a generator, perhaps. Then she goes into, instead of leaving the storm with people that she canonically hates and does not enjoy. Um, <laughs> I don't think Willow has an ounce of hatred in her heart, but I can see Does the not point. enjoy. These sure. are not her people. Sure, sure, sure. She 
instead of going to her dorm, which is probably reasonably within walking distance, she crawls into a pitch black room and feels her way around to lie down on a bed that is not hers, that she does not know there's not anybody. I mean, forget that she doesn't suspect that there's a dead guy in it. It's reasonable to suspect there's people doing it. This is the scaffolding you have to put in place if... You because the you reveal. want the light to come on and have yes. it reveal. And this is the thing. This is exactly the price that you pay. You break your character so that you can have something that you want as a writer. And writers mm-hmm. love that surprise. They love that reveal. And in the end, it's not worth it. Well, viewers mm-hmm. also yeah. love that surprise and love that reveal. Yeah. If that's what you value most, Yeah. then that's what you get. But yeah. you can also do that kind of storytelling Without sacrificing character, without sacrificing structure, without exactly. sacrificing, as we do in this case, common sense. And and yeah, it's it doesn't make any yeah. sense at all. So with the lights returned, Willow realizes that she has accidentally wound up in bed with the dead mixed drinks guy, his chest inscribed with the Eye of Providence, famous from the $1 bill, and more importantly, from Gravity Falls, it looks like the work of Bill Cipher. <laughs> It's a striking moment, if nothing else. No, it is. If you forget how we got here. Right. The moment itself, the surprise itself is nice. It's not worth what we had to sacrifice to get it. It's not, particularly when it's the kind of beat. I feel in other episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we would have just followed Percy and his girlfriend. Sure. Into that bedroom. And they would have been making out on the bed. See, Now, that's something that would have made sense. Percy and his girlfriend making out on the bed. Then the light comes back on and Willow this weird thing happens and Percy time. says, I know who to talk to and pulls Willow out of her dorm room. There you go. There you go. Much better. Yes. Xander returns home to find his basement a mess and Spike wearing cocky shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. Xander laughs, apparently forgetting that those are his clothes. Exactly. No, but they are funny on Spike. <laughs> they are funny on Spike and delivers a verbal <laughs> smackdown to Spike. A smackdown that is, I think, ultimately a little undercut. Yeah. By the way that Xander leaves the basement at the end of the scene. Because <laughs> he gets to do his great, you know, yes. speech. He gets, this is my place and you don't belong here and I'm the greatest and I guess I'll see you later. Okay, sure. I guess I'll be yeah. back by nine. <laughs> and strange, I've got to go to my job. Strange yeah. beat, but mm-hmm. a cute scene. And yeah. again, you know, it's, it's nice to see Spike and Xander because they always have that great comedic chemistry. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Buffy arrives at the party finding Willow, the police, and the dead body. Willow tells Buffy about the symbol and they leave to find Giles, though not before Buffy has a weird moment of self-pity. Yeah. When she says that she's walking up to the party and she sees the flashing lights. Yeah. And then and then I remembered death, carnage, it's a Buffy party. Yeah. In what sense is it a Buffy party? Buffy wasn't even there. You weren't even there. It yeah. certainly wasn't thrown in your honor. Exactly. A Sunnydale party. <laughs> I completely sure. get a Sunnydale party. Sure. Yeah. Riley and Forrest, meanwhile, are having a deep heart-to-heart conversation about Buffy. Graham arrives with information about the demon attack, and Riley dispatches the others to talk with Professor Walsh while he investigates Porter House. At Giles's place, Willow is feeling bad about Percy, but also about the, you know, ritual murder. So this is the other thing, too, that is completely inconsistent mm-hmm. with Willow's character, is that because they want the joke, and this, again, sacrificing character for a joke, because they want the joke of, there's a dead guy with a symbol carved into his chest. And I haven't Willow's been a nerd in quite some time. about her nerdery, yeah. yes. And it's, it's nicely done. It's well written. Alison Hannigan does great work with the material. But it's not at but all. You shouldn't be doing it in the first no, place. No, it's I not. Guess. It's not a great not. joke, and it's not in and, character for Willow. This is the point when I guess our heroes realize it. So this is perhaps the point at which we should address it. This is an episode about the apocalypse, right? This is the episode about the end of the world. Yes. Never before 
mm-hmm. has the end of the world been treated so casually? Been Except, invoked I guess, on nothing. Yeah, in the Zeppo. Yes, the joke. That's that the, the joke. The is that is it's the end of the world the exactly? But this is something. Okay, so so first of all, we have the the symbol, which is on the back of every dollar bill, and then Buffy goes, <laughs> "I've seen this before," and you think, "Well, yeah," because it's on the back of like you know every dollar bill ever. I and then Giles says, "Well, because she doesn't use." She's not referring cash. to the dollar bill either. She's referring to the to the graveyard. To the graveyard, sure, yeah. sure, which is fine. But, but don't then use Giles, such a common symbol for with, no, exactly. On this common, common symbol, <laughs> Giles says, oh, that's it. It's the end of the world with no explanation of why it's the end of the world or who's ending the world. Also, jumping to conclusions much, which is not a Giles thing. Giles always researches well, no. everything fully before deciding that it's the impending apocalypse. It's, it was a less ubiquitous symbol yeah. if it wasn't the eye of providence if it was something else if it was something more arcane and much 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 more specific sure then i can buy everything that flows from that works well as long as giles says this is because of xyz or yes. that there's a reason like they didn't even give him he just said oh that no end of the world obviously yeah. you know uh, on just jumping to that with nothing and with no explanation of the three demons or what it is that they need to do they ended up doing the research to find out that information but if he knows instantly from looking at this one symbol which by the way is everywhere um <laughs> then it, I, I just well, it, it's everywhere it in sense. our world have we ever seen a dollar bill in the buffy verse do we know for sure i i, uh, I can't uh, even uh, uh. Maybe I can't even. Maybe they have world, a different currency. Maybe this universe maybe they're is what still happens on the pound after the hell yeah. is opened, huh? It changes your currency. That is evil. <laughs> <laughs> it's like going the to exchange Canada. rate sucks. <laughs> it's almost the same, but subtly not. <laughs> Buffy though knows what's coming and knows where to find the symbol in the graveyard inscribed upon the side of a mausoleum. And just for those of you at home who are expecting me to call this out, mm-hmm. yes, the plural of mausoleum is mausolea, uh-huh. not mausoleums. <laughs> Thanks, Buffy. Armed with a crossbow, she ventures inside, finding the demon from earlier in the most, I guess, prosaic intro to a fight sequence <laughs> I've ever seen. It's basically, hey, how you doing? Should we fight now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They fight first in the mausoleum and then in the graveyard proper before the demon slams Buffy down on a tombstone, leaving her winded on the ground and runs off. Great fight sequence. Sure. Conkner, mm-hmm. as we know by now, yes. can direct the hell out of a fight scene. Mm-hmm. He's very, very good. He gives a real sense of kineticism and physicality mm-hmm. and weight. Yeah. You tend to find that, that his there's something about the way that he edits action yeah. that you really feel the weight mm-hmm. of these impacts, particularly when people hit the ground. Yes. It feels <laughs> forceful and purposeful right. mm-hmm. in a way that it oftentimes doesn't, when, when it feels a little less Light and acrobatic. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. A little more cartoonish sometimes sure, from sure. other directors. Contner generally a little less a very, Cirque du Soleil in Contner's uh, exactly right. direction. Exactly right. Riley appears from nowhere and Buffy instinctively attacks, but he confirms that the demon ran off toward the wood. He radios the initiative base, then tells Buffy that he's here looking for her. She tells him that she can't be with him, that there's no hope that their relationship is doomed. He tells her that they have a lot in common, that he's willing to try, but Buffy is emphatic. She went to high school on the Hellmouth. The initiative is a job. Being the Slayer is destiny. Interesting stuff. And like mm-hmm. the earlier scene with Riley and Forrest, yeah. I really appreciate what they're trying to do here. I really appreciate the gesture sure. that they're making. Mm-hmm. The execution is a little lackluster. Well... And I mean, in all honesty, none of it makes any sense to me. Because here's the thing. Buffy was in a difficult position, right? Because if she dates a normal guy, 
then he's always going to be in danger and there's never going to be a moment that they're going to be able to actually connect because she's going to have to lie to him all the time. If she dates a vampire, he's going to live forever. She's going to get old and die or maybe not even get old and die. She's the slayer. So that's that's not necessarily in the cards for her. Um, and so that's doomed, right? And you can't have a normal life. You can't, you know, grow up and have babies and whatever, which by the way, you can't really do just because you're the slayer. It's not really because you're dating a vampire. It's because you're the slayer. Very, very difficult to grow up and have babies and have a normal life when you're the slayer. So here she's in this situation where she's met a normal human guy who seems great, is awesome, and she doesn't have to lie to him or protect him because he's fairly tough and can no. handle himself. This seems to me like the best day for Buffy ever. I and see, yet. I see exactly what you're saying from an abstract perspective. Yeah. I think objectively, you're completely right. Yeah. From Buffy's perspective, though, I kind of understand her her despair mm-hmm. here. Because she's just been through this with Angel. And though the show doesn't make direct reference to it, those wounds are still very, very fresh. Mm -hmm. And the relationship she had with Angel was, oh, here is this handsome, studly guy who is just a part of my life, who appears from nowhere and and helps me. And and Mm -hmm. I have a connection and I have chemistry with this guy. And, oh, it turns out that he's actually a part of my world in a very meaningful and direct way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the reveal with Riley is very similar. I think that she's... Because that Riley- she feels like she didn't know. I can see. I can see it from that perspective. That she's like, I thought I knew what you were. Now I don't know what you are. Mm-hmm. You know, you've lied well, to me, and you're going to also- have to lie to me. I mean, that's something that I think. I could see her reasoning for not she wanting to get involved with Riley. Her reasoning well. for not wanting to get involved with anybody, yeah. I can understand because there's a no-win situation. Either she can tell him the truth and it ends up being part of this whole messed up world, or she has to lie to him, in which case you can't have a relationship. So, I mean, basically she's but screwed in that respect. Part anyway. of the problem with this episode is the way that it fumbles the notion of duality. Yeah. At this point, when Buffy talks about being the Slayer, being her destiny, that yeah. it's not a job, it's something that she is, it's something fundamental, it echoes one of the best lines in the episode, mm-hmm. right from the beginning of the cold open, when Riley said, Buffy asks Riley who he is, yeah. and he says, you know who I am. Mm-hmm. As for what I do, I can't tell you. Exactly. And he's drawing mm-hmm. a very clean division between, right. between the person and the job, and Buffy's not. Mm-hmm. But... Let's not pretend that Buffy is a unified person who has one identity mm-hmm. because it's fundamental to the show that she doesn't. It's fundamental that she's to our understanding of this fighting character between these things. that she doesn't. She's but caught I could between- understand. I could completely understand Buffy being like, I can't have a relationship because this just isn't going to work at all. As opposed to the only person I can have a relationship with is a normal guy who's going to get killed no, because he's in a relationship exactly. with me. But, but what Buffy wants is... A relationship within the normal half of her life. The normal side of her life. the supernatural half of Mm -hmm. her life. And that's completely fine and understandable. Unfortunately, she doesn't communicate that properly I don't feel like that is clearly expressed. It's not. But that's the only thing that makes sense. And certainly there are clues there. You know, when she Mm -hmm. talks, I thought you were a nice, normal guy. Nice, normal guy. Right. Mm -hmm. So I like the idea. And there's a version of this relationship, a version of this story where it all works. But (laughs) it's also made worse, of course, because this is the high point. Right. This is as good as Buffy and and Riley are going to get. Exactly. It's all downhill from here, people. Giles and the Scoobies, meanwhile, are researching the demon while Riley briefs the initiative. This is the scene I referred to earlier when we're cutting back and forth the one to the other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely drawing the distinction between the holistic, connected Mm -hmm. approach that the Scoobies take and this artificial, fundamentally misunderstood Mm -hmm. approach of the initiative. Yeah, it's militaristic and naive. 
Yeah, no, you know, exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yes, it betrays exactly that kind of militaristic naivete. Yes, says, exactly. Everything will obey the rules as we lay them out. Right. You know, we mm-hmm. have a perfect apprehension of the situation. Which is a classic is military phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, you well, see that. Well, I think it's the only kind of approach that you could have if mm-hmm. you're putting together a military. A military operation, <laughs> exactly, a, a exactly. Paramilitary but there's a very particular brand of, of military mm-hmm. naivete, which does happen in, in situations in which all the elements are not controlled. Sure, sure. Um, and, uh, and I like seeing that reflection here, that there's a different approach to the way that they're both approaching these same problems, you know? Mm, so I like, I like it. it. In Xander's basement... Spike is trying to stake himself. He bids farewell to Drusilla and falls forward, only to be distracted at the vital moment by the return of Xander and Willow. He smashes the table, and it only takes Xander a moment to figure out what he was trying to do. Spike's having a crisis of confidence, and Willow and Xander have no choice but to take him with them to the museum. Now, I like Spike and Xander, as previously mentioned. I like this version of Spike. It works pretty well. Mm Mm-hmm. Spike would never try and stake himself. And if Spike tried to stake himself, he I dare succeed. say he would stake himself. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I I see it being played for a joke. But if Spike really intended to kill himself, he would do it effectively. It's also, I think, much, much darker. Yeah. Than it's allowed to be within the context of the episode. Well, because Spike is the comedic you know, relief in this episode. He's the he's the funny part. Right, but yeah. Spike works best when the line between mm-hmm. Spike as comic relief and Spike as this tragic, profound figure is very, yes. very thin. And still dangerous. Yeah, when we yeah. can move between those spaces fluidly, mm-hmm. then Spike is at his absolute best. This would be a real opportunity yeah. to, instead of doing jazz hands and a joke, mm-hmm. really connect, particularly when we're picking up off the back of Xander and Spike's antipathy toward each other yeah. earlier in the episode. Mm-hmm. If we'd had a moment of, I don't know, genuine connection. Well, especially because empathy, Xander's in a position in his life where he doesn't know where he's going either, where right. his his future is by no means certain. Um, and Spike's going through that kind of crisis of identity. And hell, Giles is going through that crisis of identity. Like, all of these guys are going through this. this and I think it's a great episode. opportunity to, to have that discussion. This is the episode about going back to high school. Sure. This is the episode yeah. about literally addressing yeah. who you were and who you are now. Mm-hmm. There's all this, yeah. all this, I don't know, thematic kindling yeah. laying around, and no one is putting a spark to exactly. any of it. <laughs> we bundled it all together, but yeah, we're just going to it's all to, just to, sitting there, but we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna ignore it. Yeah. Downtown, Buffy runs into Riley again as he scans for the creature. He tells her that her refusal to date him is stupid and is twisted. And in case you're wondering, this is the moment that Riley crosses the jerk Rubicon. He defends their work, emphasizing it's important and adventure. But Buffy's been down that road before. And calling her out on her cowardice and selfishness maybe doesn't seem like the best approach. It also doesn't seem like Riley. Like, the Riley that we've built up until this point is smarter than that. And also, (laughs) when somebody says no... Riley would leave them alone. That if there is, is clearly, anybody who yes. would respect no means no, yes. it's Riley. And that he doesn't have the right to, to pursue her against I, her Did wishes. Aaron Sorkin come it's in a- and write this one? 
<laughs> Aaron Sorkin, by the way, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is completely famous for having characters who, when someone breaks up with them, says, and it's usually a man, but sometimes a woman, says, nope, that's it. I don't accept your breakup. We are not broken up. And then continues to stalk that person who eventually is charmed by it and falls back in love. Yes. Uh, which is such a bad and dangerous to message clear, to send. That it's is not okay. Terrible. It's not okay. And here is Riley stopping just short of using Sorkin's famous line, I'm coming for you. You know? <laughs> the problem here is that there's a certain conflation between their private life and yeah. their professional mm-hmm. life. There's a there's a conflation between identities. Yes. Because Riley's not just talking about a romantic engagement between the two of them. He's also referring to yeah. their, you know, desire to They've battle got the shared forces work. of evil. Right. And if he was talking about this, if he was like, look, I'm dropping the whole romantic thing, but here's the thing. We can help each other. If he was making oh, yeah. a professional overture Perhaps, to her in the scene, I would be that. okay with that. No, but rather, calling her stupid yeah, um, he's using yeah. that side of their relationship, that side of their connection As a wedge. to leverage the romantic exactly. side. Which is, is, which is terrible. Yeah, that, that's really And does move. not feel at all like that. And as well, long it as doesn't feel like the Riley that's established, but this is the scene where Buffy also has a crack about psych students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the one scene yeah. where Riley apparently has no understanding of human psychology exactly. whatsoever. No, this is a standout shockingly bad scene no it's terrible and it's like you know i've just invoked aaron sorkin but i'm also going to invoke amy sherman palladino who writes terrific men until they kiss the heroine and then suddenly they become terrible which isn't a problem that we see in buffy and i'm not sure that those men are fantastic before they kiss one of the gilmore girls okay <laughs> well no some of them were were pretty good but stay yeah. tuned for our our gilmore, gilmore girls, girls podcast our, where we discuss grimly inevitable we discuss it's podcast. like the opposite of like the prince kissing the princess in the fairy tales it's no, like as soon exactly as the princess it. kisses these guys they turn into frogs from princes so yeah xander willow and spike meanwhile to drag <laughs> this show back on course leave the museum empty-handed spike welcomes the coming apocalypse and laments his uselessness and willow's uselessness and xander's uselessness too he leaves them reeling and walks off with a smirk and the smirk infuriates me yes because what are we supposed to get from Spike here? If he's, he's had a moment of evil and it makes him happy. If he's consumed by bitterness. Yeah. yeah but this is the problem. He was on the brink of suicide. Yes. Except we're playing his suicide as a joke. It is. Mm-hmm. So because we're playing his suicide as a joke, we can now bounce back to levity. He can just be mean. Yeah. And enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But, you know, 25 minutes ago, he was right. on the brink of taking his own yes. undead life. Yes. It's inconsistent. It's it's so it's, well, frustrating. It's, it's tonally a little, yeah, a little And it's off. great in the moment. It's a mm-hmm. nice sequence. And and yeah, in the episode, well, which is about going back to high school, Spike's that makes a understanding sense that he can exert evil upon people in ways other than physical violence, I think, is is a possible option right. for him to realize that there could be meaning to life. Except that this is the episode where Spike learns that he can... Right, he, he can, can go right back to... Conduct himself. Exactly. He can go right back to physical yeah. violence. So, yeah. It's a little... Problematic. It's again. It's one of these things that's played off. It has. It's kindling on the ground. It yeah. has that option, you know, to do something well, really interesting with problem. it, and they don't. When you have mm-hmm. three writers credited on the script, it yep. really doesn't matter how much kindling there is because you're not bringing. Because you're not together. lighting the same fire. They're not working on exactly it together. Right, yeah. right. The, mm-hmm. the lack of a unified vision yeah. means that you can have all the potential in the world right. stashed away in the periphery of the script. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know that it's there when you're writing your when scene, you're doing your then part, you right. can't maximize on it. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't draw it into the story 
that you're telling and yeah. this really does feel like yeah. like a script of parts it feels like everything is it does disconnected and disassociated and yes i mean i hate to say it but i would probably put the riley buffy scene at the feet of david fury yeah. i would put the climax at, at the feet of martin oxen mm-hmm. i think she's responsible for the climax that feels like a martin oxen climax yeah mm-hmm. in that it's kind of splashy but it doesn't make a lot of sense sure it doesn't mm-hmm. really hang together mm-hmm. but certainly has these rich thematic aspects which Mm -hmm. is is nice we cut from the museum to giles who finds reference to the word of valios a magical amulet which it just so happens is in his junk drawer (laughs) right behind his his triple a batteries and that spare (laughs) screwdriver and half a ring of allen keys it's all in there he grabs it just in time for the three demons to attack from nowhere and we cut to buffy arriving back discovering a bloody giles along with the others the demons have the talisman and they are ready to open the hellmouth not an entry on our Giles gets inconclusively knocked out. Sure, list, sure. Right. This time. Yeah. Maybe we do need to have a Giles gets clawed by demons. <laughs> Giles gets peed up. It looks like he just recently awoke from unconsciousness, it does, but, but we have no textual evidence exactly. to support it. Yeah. It would be a question mark on the list. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we tend to reserve that list for the these. Giles TKO. <laughs> exactly. At the ruins of Sunnydale High, the Scoobies head to the library looking for sacrifices the demons are presumably keeping fresh until the ritual. Xander steps on some of the remaining scraps of the mayor, and we see, if we pay very close attention, the statue which contains Amy's mother on the oh, floor I of the hallway. It. Oh, you no did? No way! <laughs> I am, I am that almost is certain awesome. that's what it is. Oh my god. It's pretty great. <laughs> In what used to be the library, Buffy fights the three assembled demons. We get so little sense of this space Mm -hmm. and its contiguity with the library that of course we know so well that we love so well Mm -hmm. this should feel like returning home yeah and i feel like because of the limits of television production sure it doesn't really Mm -hmm. we see like there's the wreckage of the cage Mm -hmm. hanging above this i guess new subfloor that they've i guess discovered under the library and we see there's the one shot of the skylight Mm -hmm. which is is beautiful and really does make it feel like home. i don't know that there's a way of of doing it better than they did it right mm-hmm. i kind of wish for just yeah. i wish it felt more like the i wish library. it felt like the, it was recognizably the space and yeah. it's not it's yeah. not and that's mm-hmm. sad yeah it is it's such a powerful idea the whole point of going back and it seems like too if you're gonna go back it, that should be a big deal that should mm. be the big thing in the episode well, this is and it's until the, the last little bit yeah, yeah we're dealing with returning to sunnydale high yeah which should be which should be a the big most deal important and powerful yeah. in an episode which is dealing with the apocalypse exactly the actual end of right. everything the opening mm-hmm. of the hellmouth the whole yeah. shebang and that story is just so insubstantial yeah. it just feels so unimportant mm-hmm. nothing is given the proper weight yeah instead the end of everything, the return to Sunnydale High, these themes which address the very core of what Buffy is as a show and who Buffy is as a character, these incredibly valuable and important ideas are relegated to second place after the Buffy and Riley storyline. Right. Mm -hmm. Which... Which does not uh, hold its way. Because they essentially have the same argument three times. They do, With each argument getting progressively worse for both of them, you know? Yes, though Riley crosses a line that Buffy at least... At least manages to avoid, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Buffy expresses herself inelegantly, yeah. I think that's... And is herself, I think, confused about... About what, what is actually really going on, what, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. But Riley 
Wow, Just he really terrible. does suffer from those yeah. conversations, mm-hmm. yes. So Buffy fights the assembled demons, Xander recovers the blood, Willow the bones. The battle is desperate until one of the demons suddenly abandons Xander and leaps into the crevice to the hellmouth. The ground shakes, and that is the moment when Spike realizes, much to his delight, that he can hurt demons. <laughs> it's kind of a great moment. I love this moment for Spike. The line feels a little overwritten. It is a little the bit. The performance is yeah. all there. Yeah. But I don't know if it's just I don't know if it's just the line. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the if it's the sudden savagery of the the fight choreography. Right. I don't know if it's the music because the music comes up is, behind it. Yeah. Like in this triumphant uh-huh. And I'm not sure that triumph is actually yeah. the, the, the mood that we're going for there. Well, I don't know. I mean, I I kind of love it. I love this moment. And I think that the physical acting from James Marsters mm. is powerful enough oh, to get this across yeah. without the dialogue. Like, he punches the thing and expects the, the headache, but it doesn't happen. And then you want to see him <laughs> punch again, punch again, and then be moment. like, oh, yeah. Like, all I want from him is, oh, yeah. Like, we can see yeah. that without him. I can hurt a demon. Like, that's a bad line. Yeah. And it's not, I think we and, want, we can rely on James Marsters to get that across. Yes. You and know, the, I'm a bloody animal callback yeah. to what is an imperfect idea. Yeah. What is an imperfect metaphor mm-hmm. is not a strong symbol. Um, and it's also not, I think, how he sees himself. No, I don't you think know? so. You know, and it's, it's not, there is, and I there's am something. the big bad. Give me that. I could I could buy Spike referring to himself in that moment, particularly on the heels of Xander Even calling that, him not I'm, the big bad. I'm the thing that yeah. the things you're afraid of are afraid of. Like, I mean, exactly. something like that. Like, I think that he has a definition like that. But also, I love, one of the things that I absolutely love about this is what it says about the thing that you're good at. Like, mm. if the thing that you're really good at is a terrible thing. Um, that's a really interesting space to yeah, be in. And the thing is, is that there's, there's, we love when we watch television shows and movies and read stories, we love people who are good at their jobs, who are good at something. There is, there is almost a love story quality, a universality to that idea of finding the thing that you are meant to do, you know? Mm. And I think that with Spike, the thing that he's good at, the thing that he's meant to do is this terrible thing, which he loves because he doesn't have a soul. He is free and open to completely love that one thing. So I think that this moment played as as kind of almost a romantic, like a love story climax, you know, where he is reunited <laughs> with the one thing that is right for him. That's kind of how I want this moment to play. That would be an approach. And I, I find it to be a little disappointing because I, I love, and especially because he talks about his uselessness. And again, this is more kindling left on the ground. He talks about his uselessness earlier that like finding mm-hmm. the one thing that defines you, the one thing that you do really, really well. And the one thing he does really well, he can't can't do anymore and that kind of takes away his sense of identity for him to be reunited with his sense of identity in this moment is a beautiful moment and it's a little bit and we have the opportunity outside the museum or even earlier with that for him to address that directly and say that is all i am this is is the one thing that i do yeah Right. What if you couldn't make stupid jokes anymore? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, to say something like that and for Xander to be like, oh, God, yeah. you know, like to understand and yeah. for there to be a moment of understanding of why Spike feels this way, you know, um, 
so yeah, there could it could have been done so much better. Yeah. Even so, it's a good moment. It's one of my favorite Spike moments. This moment of realization. This moment of of reconnection with his purpose. Yeah. And I love that. It's good and it works, but mm-hmm. it has the potential to be. It could have been so much better. An absolutely could epic have been moment. So it could have been one of the better. defining moments of Buffy. Like when he, and you know, it, at the end of isn't. season uh, two, when he switches sides and goes yeah. to Buffy's side for purely selfish reasons. One of the things that I love about Spike and the way that Spike is written is that we never we never forget that he's a monster yeah you know we never forget we never make him good you know like he wants to do good things only because he can only fight on one side now so he'll fight however he can um and if it means doing good then all right and you're right i mean the performance in the moment yeah is is pretty his his, james marsters doesn't (laughs) need dialogue his head reactively oh that moment of realization and that moment of you see this energy move all throughout his wiry body and it's just completely he is amazing james marsters amazing actor so thus empowered spike beats one of the demons just into the (laughs) ground then hoists it in the air and throws it into the hellmouth because (laughs) spike the ground shakes again the building begins to fall and buffy orders the others to run they do so and buffy is knocked to the ground by the last remaining demon but it is suddenly pulled away by riley they fight together, but Riley is pinned by falling masonry as the demon leaps into the Hellmouth. <laughs> Buffy chases after it and leaps in after, of course, being hooked by Riley's uh, repelling cable. Sure, because you never know what you're going to need. But the initiative, I completely This is why you wear cargo pants. That the initiative are, yes, are well-equipped and exactly prepared with that, that sort way. of thing, sure. Unfortunately, doesn't matter how well-equipped Riley is, mm-hmm. that's not how gravity works, you guys. <laughs> It it isn't. You can't catch up unless we're assuming that the demon, you know, popped a parachute the minute after he jumped in, or that he has different. They're very stealthy, right? Maybe he's much lighter than he appears. Maybe it's not about lightness, though. But no, but maybe there's like aerodynamic qualities yeah, to his scales. That's true. If, that slow him down. <laughs> if his terminal velocity were much much lower than Buffy's. this is what I'm saying. Yeah. What's frustrating most, I think, about the actual climax of Buffy leaping in and then clawing her way back up with the demon is that it's just so unnecessary. It's just, Mm -hmm. we don't need to go to that extreme to resolve the storyline, and we can't do it justice. Yeah. We can't really, you know, represent this on screen. We can't do it in a way that's convincing and compelling and looks as cool as it could i guess theoretically look well and also if this was the big moment at the end of you know like building up to the apocalypse for at least a multi-episode arc if yeah not, if you this know, were a season if finale we had, and we had the money on and the, the apocalypse time, and yeah. we we knew that the demon you know wouldn't fall as fast as he should fall um that yeah the whole thing it doesn't make any sense it's this overbuilt overdone overcooked overwritten climax um and so yeah it's just it's one of those things you just have to be like okay in the hall outside riley's trained counterintelligence techniques are no match for the scooby's immediate realization that he's one of the commandos (laughs) and he fails to recognize spike so not batting a thousand for Professor Walsh's training regime. Well, that said, there were a lot of guys in the in the containment modules downstairs, and I don't know that he really saw Spike that much. Although I guess he was hunting right. Hostel Seventeen, though he must have but had they had pictures. If and stuff. I in real life saw Spike on the street, I would think, "Dude's a vampire." <laughs> 
Well, and if anything, the bright blonde hair stands out. If nothing else. If nothing else. Somewhat distinctive. It, well, especially because Riley was, he was heading a task if force said, looking specifically for Spike Hostel 17. You would say bleach blonde hair and cheekbones that can cut glass. Cut exactly. glass. Exactly. Yes. Go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. But we really wanted the moment, which is why well, we had because to, we wanted to, to have scaffolding. James Marsters, who is American, doing a British person <laughs> doing a bad American accent. Which is great. <laughs> Which was kind of it fun. It is great. But again, it's another one of those <laughs> I'm moments. I'm a friend of Xander's. Is, it's not about the joke. The mm-hmm. joke can work. You yeah, can have an episode yeah. that can accommodate all of this mm-hmm. comedy, all, all of these inclinations. If you're telling a story that yeah. is this type of Buffy, Mm -hmm. then you can do that. Jane Espenson has done so very successfully. I go to Jane Espenson because she generally writes the funniest Mm -hmm. episodes. Right. Mm -hmm. This episode, though, isn't that. No, it's not. It is this this Buffy chimera of the deep and profound relationship stuff Mm -hmm. and the, the, you know, grand arc apocalypse stuff Mm -hmm. and the funny let's pit Xander and Spike against each other in a very, very Mm -hmm. mundane, low-key kind of way Mm -hmm. stuff. It's trying to do all of these things. I don't think that Doomed is a bad episode. Like, across the board, there are things that I like about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But its failing is a lack of vision, a lack of unity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The lack of an authorial voice that can draw all these different strands together that can make good on the potential that mm-hmm. is just strewn around. Yeah. You know? No, it feels like a first, I mean, honestly, it feels like a first draft written by, I mean, a good first draft. There's a lot of really good stuff mm. in there. But yeah, written by three different people, stitched together, you know, and that they just, it feels to me like, especially considering the talent that we have in this writing team, it feels to me like there just probably wasn't, a lot of time yeah. like that they just didn't have time to to really make it work because all of the the scenes with buffy and riley are a essentially the same scene b just bickering it's just arguing back and forth and explaining the same thing over and over and over again um and wasting a lot of time doing it you know yeah, and that could yeah. be do, done a lot more effectively and, and done even then more without, consistently with their characters yeah it's okay to return i think to the same subject and have that mm-hmm. have, have the tension and the pressure and the conflict escalate right to, to keep circling back to the same conversation but have it you know increase in magnitude and, and right. intensity each time you can do that or have That's consequence fine. of some sort that there's something right. actually happening but we're not in those actually moments talking about the thing that we seem to be talking right. about we're not actually connecting mm-hmm. there are great things about this episode but they are just floating in this disconnected space yeah and they're tangled in and muddled up with all of this inessential clutter yeah mm-hmm. some of which fails because of the execution right. certainly and some of which fails because of the concept so yeah. some of these ideas just aren't great ideas mm-hmm. and even the ideas that are great ideas aren't given enough are kind space. of fumbled yeah yeah mm-hmm. So overall, it has great parts. It's mm-hmm. certainly not. It's nothing like I've seen some accounts given. Yeah. Of doomed that it is down there with your Ted's and your go fishes. Oh no no. And no that's no. Clearly not yeah. the case. No. It's a Frankenstein's monster. It, it is. is. It is stitched together of different parts, all of which individually have a lot of potential. Let's yeah. wrap it up. Buffy stops by Riley's room for him to relive the humiliation of being just the world's worst secret agent. Yes. Just really, really terrible. But Buffy has apparently had a change of heart, mm-hmm. and I couldn't track Buffy's motivation. I don't know what has For changed, except it's the of, end of the episode, and we kind of want to close on a kiss. It, well, yeah, they they worked together averting the apocalypse, and now suddenly all of her 
you know, let's arguably right. weak arguments and that she was so passionate about and them not but getting together. The only thing that she had going for her was that working together was the bad idea. Right. So let's double down on that. Let's work yeah. together just as we worked together before to save the world in Hush. Right. Okay. No, okay. I don't. <laughs> Again, I don't even. And then in the basement, Willow and Xander are watching television while Spike oh, encourages them to favorite. go hunt evil. Any evil will do. And we cut to credits. No, I love and his little brave cut, heart get, speech. We get that brilliant last little, that, that, that <laughs> For Vedan puppies hook. and Christmas, then we cut to black. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's pretty good. No, it is fantastic. I love that last little bit. For puppies and Christmas, you know, let's go fight that evil. At its core, I think this episode has an interesting perspective to offer Mm -hmm. on the difference between Buffy and Riley, on the difference between magic and science, Mm -hmm. on the difference between, you know, myth and story and legend and analysis and and that that clinical and there's so much great stuff here approach which in that scene where we're cutting back and forth between the two command centers Mm -hmm. you know um i love that that dissonance and i love the fact that they're coming at this from two different angles and i love the fact that we know that riley's angle while being something that would work in his world when he's stepping into the supernatural world is absolutely doomed to fail i there's so much about this that i really like and i really like the like the potential that in there but there's so much potential and so little of it is actually realized where would we put this on the list of every buffy episode ever do you have a spot in mind well i have a range in (laughs) mind because i can't because i'm I'm kind of it's appropriate that when we're talking about doomed we're not going to be specific about anything exactly come up with a concrete conclusion it's not um i mean i like the spike stuff a lot and Mm -hmm. i think that the spike stuff raises up the episode in my estimation although there are other things that i do like in this episode as well um if it wasn't for the you know the spike stuff in this in this transformation for spike i probably would have it like in a you know i don't know 40s ish kind of uh, territory but with the spike but with the spike, I have it kind of up a little bit higher. I have it sort of like revelations, consequences, um, kind of in there. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah. So we're looking at, at 35 Like mid-30s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think the spike stuff certainly works. I think that I'm much more impressed by the intent that underlies the Riley and Buffy stuff. I think the execution flounders. Uh, yeah, you love regard. ambition. <laughs> it's not even ambition necessarily. It's yeah. it's subtlety. It's yeah. paying attention to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's a recognition of some of the underlying themes. And in the episode where we go back to high school, in yeah. the episode where we, we lay some of those demons to rest, when we acknowledge, albeit so horribly fleetingly, mm-hmm. that we are different now, that the world is different yeah. now, mm-hmm. that Buffy as a show has has expanded beyond mm-hmm. its original parameters has has matured and has evolved into this much more sophisticated much more internally ambitious yeah. show mm-hmm. we're getting storytelling of a very high caliber here you know yeah i think that that stuff deserves commendation deserves respect okay. even though it's imperfectly represented on the screen so between the spike stuff and this underlying poorly realized tension between See, that's both the thing. Buffy and Riley and right. the Scoobies and the initiative. Well, it is See, there, poorly though. realized is what makes me actually bring it down. The fact that it was there for the taking and they didn't take it makes me respect the work less. 
I can see that. Yeah. I can see if that. If it wasn't even there, if there was no ambition in this at all, I probably it probably wouldn't bother me as but much. But it's the kind of thing where they did it poorly, mm-hmm. but they did it. But they and tried. I think, that, I think right. that doing it is to be commended. Okay. I think that there is a mature approach to Buffy as a text. Yes. You know, contained within that. Mm-hmm. We're really addressing at a very fundamental the, uh, very fundamental level these ideas of power and obligation, of duty and identity, mm-hmm. the effortlessness with which we cut right to the heart of right. that, right in the cold open. Mm-hmm. When Riley says, you know who I am, as for right. what I do. yeah. Drawing that That's distinction. That's a beautiful distinction. A distinction that echoes all the way back to the introduction of Kendra. Yes, absolutely. A connection that speaks to Buffy and Faith. And, you know, I and guess, not slight doing, spoilers, we will address right. again in terms of Buffy and Faith in the notes of this Having it right there and not picking it up, though. Doesn't no, that make do you crazy? They do pick it up. They don't do everything that they can do with it. But they do pick it up because mm-hmm. we have it there in the cold open. We gesture toward it with the scene between Forrest and Riley. We definitely have it again when we're opposing yeah. the the Scooby research meeting mm-hmm. and the initiative briefing. That stuff works well. That stuff speaks to these same ideas. Yeah. I think that where we where we really miss the mark is in grounding that opposition, that mm-hmm. juxtaposition in the personal relationship between Buffy and Riley. And that's because Buffy fails to express accurately yeah. what she's going through what the actual problem is mm-hmm. so yes it's it's incomplete mm-hmm. is what it is it's not so much that it's a missed opportunity it's not so much that that they fail yeah. in what they set out to do it's that they succeed they just don't succeed as well as they might yeah yeah no i guess and so. for me and for my interest in buffy that actually works for me mm-hmm. really quite well you're right too of course the spike stuff is great we have to whistle past so much yeah so much but honestly i almost feel like giving it a pass or giving it more of a pass because it is just so fragmented because it's so obvious what the problems are yeah one person didn't sit down and just half-ass this episode there are three potentially good episodes here yeah and three great writers at i war mean with each other the fact that we have three of our heavy hitters yeah. you know working yeah. together on this people who ordinarily tend to work alone for the mm-hmm. most part except david fury he does he does more collaborations I he think, has than, traditionally but, than but Knox yeah. and and uh, and espenson but it makes me feel like we have this basic idea we don't have time jane you do this marty you do this right. david you do because this we and then we'll put it all together contained right. within mm-hmm. this buffy as comedy buffy as drama yep. and buffy as romance yeah and that's fine you can flip from episode to episode and do different stories it's it's sure. okay that you well, have, you can even you know, do all of that surprise and innocence alongside right. the Zappo and Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered, sure. and, and Graduation Day One and Two. Mm-hmm. You can do those stories in different spaces, but they have different palettes, they have different yeah. textures, they have different tones to them. And this is very and stitched crashing together. Them into each other. Yeah, leaves you with all of these loose ends that you have to compensate for or explain mm-hmm. away or just not explain well, away. Well, see, that's the thing. There. There's just so much great potential. Yeah. You know, it's just left on the ground. And that, to me, frustrates me, although I do completely understand your point about it's there, at least. At least that potential if, is there. That's the thing. I think the difference for me is that if this episode had been written by one writer, mm-hmm. I would be frustrated by all the squandered potential sure. because there's nothing stopping you from but isn't that an extra textual, knowing that there's three writers on it and knowing well, who those writers are? I mean, that's an extra textual. If you look it at is, the but we don't preclude the episode of, of, on its own merits. We, 
extra textual information is associated with these episodes all the time. Mm-hmm. But you have to be careful. I'm just saying, be aware when it's influencing no, your call. No, absolutely. And I do. You know, I do. Yeah. It, but even, I think if you didn't know that it was written by three writers, you would still feel as though this was an episode at war with itself. It does. Yeah, more than definitely. just, you know, definitely. a weak effort. Yeah. Um. So I would put it a little higher. I would put it somewhere around... Yeah, just a little higher though, somewhere around Bewitched, Bothered, Bewildered, somewhere around The Freshman, somewhere around sure, Dead Man's Party. Sure, I could see it definitely um, in that territory. I could maybe see it going as high as, and maybe going as high as School Hard, but I think we're we're pushing the limits of, of what's acceptable. But even yeah. then, I would consider this to be an interesting failure of an episode, much more than I would consider it to be a disaster. Yeah, I would put it around Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, I think. In that territory, I feel like above or below Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, I can. Yeah, I think maybe it's actually not that dissimilar to the freshman, which was an yeah. episode that also kind of felt a little to jumbled. do a great deal sure. and didn't connect it all together. Mm-hmm. I think I might tuck it in under the freshman, right above Dead Man's Party. I can definitely that go with you? that. Sure, sure. All right, twenty nine on the list for Doomed. I'm not at this point going to make any broad statements about my response to Riley. <laughs> Certainly, the Riley that we see in the street. <laughs> with Buffy yeah, at the end of I, the episode is the Riley that I remember. So yeah. we'll see how it goes from here on out. Yeah, I'd kind of like to, to you know, revisit with the Riley that we had originally in the first few episodes of this season. I feel like this is the Riley I remember and it's probably the Riley that we're going to get from here on out. Um, but I hope not. We'll certainly keep a close eye on Riley as oh, we move yeah. through the rest of the season. On Monday's show, we'll be back with the 12th episode of the fourth season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, A New Man, written by Jane S. One of your favorites, I think. Oh, sure, yeah. The new Man's pretty <laughs> well, fun. I love Giles. Anything Giles-centric, I'm yes. going to enjoy. We'll say yeah. no more about it <laughs> until next Monday's show. On Thursday, though, we'll be back with the 11th episode of the first season of Angel Somnambulist, The mm-hmm. Return of Detective Kate. So there's that to look forward to, I guess. Sure. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more from us, you can find all of our podcasts and more, much, much more over on storywonk.com. If you want to discuss this episode or any episode, you can find the best community of Storywonks and Buffy fans on the entire internet over on the Storywonk forum, forum forum.storywonk.com. Guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back on Thursday with Angel. Until then, I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusted. Dusted.